Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast, a meandering monologue through Critical Care Fellowship exam preparation, and this is number 31, where we're looking at Guillain-Barre syndrome, and this is part two, looking at management. So GBS management can be nicely split into disease-specific management and ICU-supportive care. So in terms of specific treatment, this is something that has a reasonable evidentiary basis at this stage, and the menu on offer is similar in appearance to many of the immune-mediated disasters that appear in the intensive care unit. So you can choose from steroids, IVIG, plasmapheresis, and more recently, um, MABs have all been studied also. It doesn't mean that all of those actually work equally, which we'll come to in a second. IVIG is supported by a Cochrane review of randomised controlled trial data and a major neurological society guideline, which is generally enough to persuade a non-specialist like me because, let's face it, I'm a very lazy man and don't want to read all the individual RCTs. The theory here is the usual hand-wavy IVIG one, that within the massive pool of donors, so literally thousands of donors that go into a bottle of IVIG, there is sufficient neutralising antibody against the dodgy ones the Body has produced, along with a smorgasbord of other immune modulating effects that we don't really understand. Either way, it works and it seems to be fairly benign, if not a touch hard on the wallet. Our other major option is plasmapheresis, and this involves spinning the blood in a big machine until the plasma separates out, then removing all the plasma and replacing the volume with some 5% albumin and letting the body reproduce all the other plasma components itself. So this is another treatment supported by a 2012 Cochrane Review of Randomised Trials. The mechanism here is thought to be removal of the circulating antibody that is causing all the trouble. It also takes away all the associated complement that goes with it. Plasmapheresis in this scenario is often delivered in four to six sessions. And this, this really had always confused me. Why so many sessions? Is there some kind of ongoing antibody production that you need multiple treatment sessions? So the number of treatment sessions you need primarily depends, this is in plasmapheresis in general, primarily depends on the antibody type that you're going after. So IgM um, typically spends all of its time in the vascular space, so after a session or two you've got rid of it all. IgG, which is probably what we're going after here, has a larger volume of distribution as such, and as soon as you've washed it out of the vascular space, it leaks back in again from the tissues and plasma levels rise again, hence the multiple sessions. Presumably in GBS there is no ongoing antibody production as it is one of the few times in ICU plasmapheresis you don't need a heavy duty immunosuppressant to go along with it to stop the ongoing antibody production. And with regards to immunosuppression it is important to note that steroids do not work, have been studied and should not be used. So the question at this stage remains as to which expensive treatment you should choose. There does not seem to be an advantage of one over the other so I think I would probably plump for the one that doesn't need a 12 French catheter in my neck. Turning to supportive treatment, there are a few important principles at play. Firstly is the question of when do we intubate these folk? And this can be split into two parts. So firstly, let's think about airway protection. So especially in the Miller-Fisher variant, um, you're going to start seeing cranial nerve issues, bulbar issues, swallowing um, problems. And it would be a real shame to start a six-week ventilation course with a bad and preventable aspiration. So secondly, we've good old-fashioned respiratory failure. This is probably more at the forefront of our minds. Um, but remember, this is a very quiet and a very non-distressed type of respiratory failure where there simply isn't any respiratory effort to increase the work of breathing. There are a few published indications for intubation and perhaps the most useful and oft-quoted for exam purposes is a vital capacity of less than 15 mils per kg. In reality, we'll probably intubate along our usual guidance, which is whenever we damn well want to, um, and we'll certainly intubate along that guidance, especially if another team makes a polite suggestion that given the vital capacity is less than 15 mils per kg, we should just possibly maybe just think about taking them to the intensive care unit. 
Given that the nadir of the illness is probably still a month away following uh, intubation, it would seem reasonable to tube and trachea and wake them up as soon as possible. A question on supportive care for GBS could be filled with lots of material and supportive care from fast hugs in bed, um, but a useful point to make is to look for some autonomic dysfunction. And this affects about 10% of GBS patients with simple things like hypertension, but it can be profound enough to need an emergent pacing wire for bradycardia, so do be prepared. While the whole disease does seem absolutely horrific, it is worth noting that 70% of GBS cases are independent at a year. And again, the best reading for this is go to O's Intensive Care Manual, Chapter 58. Uh, Deranged Physiology and Life in the Fastly in particular have nice little tables that compare the features of GBS with other neuromuscular disorders, um, which is, of course, a favourite exam question. So thanks for listening and until next time.